it really struck me uh, earlier on as I was preparing for this afternoon. I don't know what you're like with your directory structure on your computer. I'm a, I'm a little bit kind of organization freak, which some of you might be quite surprised that I'm that organized. Um, but I have kind of a section for sermons, then I have a section for escape, then I have a section for each of the sections that we've done, or the series that we've done. And I've got one for Christmas, so I go into my Christmas um, section, and I realize that I'm actually creating a year 20, a folder 2018. And then I notice way back there we've got a folder 2008. I thought, wow, that, that, is, that really hit me. That really is 10 years. And I hadn't really picked up until you mentioned it that in the year that we're 10 years, we get the opportunity to sign a 10-year contract. That's quite remarkable, isn't it? Um, all I would say is this. All of that, all of that is by God's grace. When... In 2008, just before Christmas, I think we're a week away maybe, in fear and trembling, I walked into the conference center upstairs to start. We didn't know what. And here we are 10 years later. God has been so good. So good. Uh, and let us believe, let us trust, let us hope, and let us pray that He will continue to be as good for His glory, for the next 10 years. Who knows after 10, another 10 years what might happen? I don't know. I know that we're in His hands. And so here we are 10 years later, uh, and if you think about it, if you present things regularly to people, you might be thinking, wow, 10 years, every time this year, we're coming round again to the same subject that we've got to find a way to make three or four talks for the period of December looking at the Christmas story. A good friend of mine said, it's so hard sometimes, he said, sometimes I feel as if I'm flogging that donkey all the way to Bethlehem myself. I thought that was quite interesting, but you know when we think about it, it is the most incredible moment in the history of the world. It is astoundingly important. And our, our objective over these, this week and next week is to, before we get into the carol services and all of that kind of thing, I want to prepare our thinking so that we realize what the Bible is actually claiming. How incredibly central this festive season is. Why it is so important. And why we can reclaim the power of the gospel in this Advent time. A guy called William H. Peterson, I've just read this quote, and it's long and it will be complicated and some of you will just will love it. Some of you will think, I want to write that down and think about it. But it's definitely the phrase, it's more than a phrase, it's a few sentences which we could place over this week and next week. It's, listen to this. Bear with me, because don't worry, because I'm going to hopefully try to explain it. The call is for the church to reclaim for the sake of its own life and mission advanced focus on the reign of God. And in so doing, to hone once again the countercultural edge of the gospel 
at the very beginning of this liturgical year. That is a mouthful, isn't it? But basically what he's saying is this. We live in a world which has lost all sense of any meaning for Christmas. We've lost it. And the church can fall into the trap of trying to hang on to the coattails of Christmas from a cultural season point of view. And as we hold on the coattails, try desperately to try to explain why it's important. Christmas is way bigger than that. It is central to our mission. It is central to the hope of the Christian faith. It is the very meaning of our hope in the Gospel. And I want to understand, I want to open up that this evening. Uh, And the only way that we can do that, and we are going to, if you like, we're going to place ourselves in the Christmas season. And this evening, we're going to stretch all the way back. And next week, we're going to stretch all the way forward. And we're seeking to capture the whole of the story of the Bible. That's a big, big task, isn't it? And so when we have a little, a, a little bit of a program, it's a platform that we organize our, our, our services with, we, we all add on to it what songs we're going to sing, it's called Trello, and we organize the reading, and Gail re- reminded me, can I have the reading for this week? And I said, here's, here's the most obvious reading for the beginning of Christmas, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is not normally where you would go to to begin Christmas. But unless we go there, unless we go to that point, we will not understand our cultural embracing of Christmas correctly, and we will not understand the alternative and greater message of the Gospel. So let's first understand our cultural hanging on to the idea of Christmas. I'm going to call it a joyful distraction. Joyful distraction. We come to this time of Christmas and we, we, we talk about this kind of idea of Christmas creep. It, it's, that's not the kind of sleazy guy at the office, by the way. Christmas creep is that idea that Christmas gets sort of further and further away and you start it in, I don't know what, the middle of November and we all have a joke about it. But the reality is that, that Christmas has crept in a way which the church never celebrated it. And the church never anticipated that it would be. The church actually uh, kept away from the joy of Christmas deliberately down through the ages. They, they kind of hid away from it until Christmas came. And there was something deeply significant in the kind of the kind of history of the church, the singing of carols, all of that kind of thing, would not take place until Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. They wouldn't do it. Not because they were boring and because they didn't enjoy and celebrate Christmas, but because they wanted to make a theological point. They wanted to say something of significance. And what they wanted to say was this, The joy and the celebration of Christmas breaks into our darkness. What's our darkness? Why do we talk 
about darkness. We have to go back to a garden. And it's a garden of pain. Because the garden of Gethsemane, uh, the garden, sorry, yes, that's another garden. The garden of Eden is the place where we see and we understand and the Bible describes to us how God has determined to declare the crisis of the human condition. Look at the way it starts. Genesis chapter 1. The snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, you may eat from the trees in the fruit, but but God, did say you, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the certain, certain snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The way the Bible portrays this is humanity in infant innocence. We kind of look at that and we say, why would God want to hold us back from the reality of good and evil? Do we, do we want to do that with our children, with our little ones? Isn't it just natural that we want to hold back all of the horrors and realities of good and evil, protect them until they are ready. There is debate amongst the commentators, but many commentators suggest that God's purpose was to allow humanity in man to, to mature to the point where they were ready to understand things which they did not yet understand. But like impetuous children, they made a decision. I don't trust you. I want to be equal. You'll be like God. You'll be just like Him. And there is the very heart of our problem. In fact, even for many of us, as we're thinking and we're coming to terms with the idea of this message of this Christian faith, there is, there is an understandable tendency. I want us to confront this and to think about it, we, we, have a, we have a tendency to kind of observe it and decide, mm, let, let me consider this. Let me think whether this is acceptable. Let me put myself alongside God and consider whether it's worthwhile. There's a little flavor of Eden there. There's a little flavor of saying, let me be equal to God. And let me decide whether God is going to prove himself good enough for me. <laughs> and the Bible wants us to look at that. It's not, that's our nature. And it's recorded so that we might look at it. And as though we're looking in a mirror, we might say, is it really reasonable for me to think like that? To put myself equal to God? Or is there the reality that I might say, God, please... In my weakness, in my need, will you show yourself? So there's the start of the problem. That's where our attitude 
opens up a chasm in our relationship with God. The outcome of that speaks directly to our human problem. Later on in verse 16, we read curses. Curses upon the man and the woman. And the curses describe a relationship fracture. Look at what it says in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Let me make something really, really clear. That verse has been used absolutely incorrectly, in my view, by the church down through the generations to say that is the appropriate relationship between men and women. He's going to rule over you. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is a curse. It is a shattering of relationship. Adam and Eve were in this this relationship of mutuality and, and, and togetherness. And God says, it's not going to be like this anymore. You're going to look for that hope. And instead of that being reciprocated in an appropriate way, there's going to be an attitude of superiority ruling. What a tragedy. Relationships are shattered. To Adam he said, verse 17, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. There are two dramatic curses there. A shattered relationship and a shattered relationship with work. Isn't work great? <laughs> on, a fri- on a Sunday night, just before you're about to think about getting up in tomorrow morning and you've got a full week ahead of you, there are not many people who are anticipating that with huge enthusiasm. (laughs) Even if you love your job, there will definitely be times when it will be grueling. Do you know it is not supposed to be like that? You know, we might not live in a world anymore where we get that direct relationship between hard toil and surviving. I don't think any of us are going to go out tomorrow morning and scrape in the ground and try to get plants to grow in the hope that we might have food to eat next harvest. We're not in that situation anymore. But the the relationship between work is exactly the same for us. It is hard work. It is toil. It is desperately difficult. It's hard to make a living. 
There is injustice. There is fraud. There is people abusing you. There is all sorts of stuff going on in work. It is just hard. And so we've got shattered relationships between each other and we've got a shattered relationship between surviving in this world. It is now hard work. Now do you see why Christmas is a joyful distraction? Because we imagine a world of perfect relationships for a few days over Christmas. In fact, our adverts just pour that idea out over us again and again and again. They pour it out saying Christmas is a wonderful time for relationships and it's all going to be beautiful and, and some of our most point, poignant, satirical voices in the world of comedy, comedy uh, kind of pull that idea to pieces. We think it's going to be beautiful and it's a nightmare for some. Because relationships are shattered. But we create a momentary illusion where we believe that we can create something wonderful and marvelous. And our relationships once again will be perfect and restored. And we also believe that we can create a little moment where we can forget the hardship of work and we can just rest for a little while. And depending on which is the most pressing issue for us, one will appear appealing more than the other. Now, I, I always think of that, in, that really powerful uh, story that Dickens wrote about Christmas, A Christmas Carol. And Bob Cratchit working for Ebenezer Scrooge, just wanting that, that one day off Christmas Day. Uh, I can't, to be honest, I'll be honest with you, I can't actually think about it now without thinking about the Muppets Christmas Carol. That, that's, that's where we've got to. But that idea of just one day, and, and for Bob Cratchit, the, the kind of the desperate Victorian hardship of work, where work was really a desperate toil. And don't forget, Dickens wasn't writing cutesy little stories. He was making political statements about the world that we lived in at that time. Because the world was grueling and the world was hard. And for a moment, Cratchit was able to get escape from that world into the idealized world of a little home where everything was safe and beautiful. That's the world that we live in. And it makes sense because of Genesis chapter 3. We can understand it because of Genesis chapter 3. We can see that it starts, first off, with a broken relationship with God. It, it, it is not because we've decided to hate each other that the world is broken. It's because we've decided to not trust God, to not believe God, to not put our faith in Him. That's our difficulty, that's our problem, that's our crisis. And so Christmas becomes a joyful distraction. Two curses. Our culture speaks so often about this. 
I, I haven't seen the film. I confess I haven't seen the film. Although I dare say I, there might be a moment where I might get dragged to watch it, probably in front of the TV. A Star is Born. Who knew Bradley Cooper could sing? Some of you are looking at me saying, who's Bradley Cooper? Uh, and so isn't it interesting? Here's a little bit of sidebar trivia. Bradley Cooper desperately wanted to be a singer. And he sung in this film. And Lady Gaga desperately wanted to be an actress. Isn't that interesting? They find their resonance in one little film. Isn't that great? But listen to this. I digress. Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? <laughs> Spoken. Openly. And we all swoon at the kind of the ideas. And ju I would just want to say, stop for a minute. And unpick what is being said there. It is shining this great light onto the reality of our experiences. Are you happy in this modern world? Or are you still looking for something? Tell me something, boy, aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? I should go, yo, that's your name. Keeping it so hardcore. Isn't that just... I don't know. Augustine said, 6th century was it? That we are all restless until we find our rest in God. I look at that and I think, do you know what? Our world is saying the same thing. We're saying it with kind of lovely songs that I've got. It is amazing. It, the sound is kind of so powerful and it's poignant and all, it's all the rest of it. But why do we attach ourselves to sentiments like that? Because it speaks about our reality. And our reality is rooted in the way the Bible describes our reality. This isn't contradicting. It's saying, yes, that's where we are. But this is why. I, I don't know how the story unfolds, but it's the next verse is I'm falling. In all the good times, I find myself longing for change. <laughs> In all the good times, I find myself longing for change. Talk about dissatisfaction. And in the bad times, I fear myself. <laughs> Joyful distraction. But the reality is that Christmas, this Advent time, is central because of that, but speaks powerfully into it. So it reverses a joyful distraction and it becomes a joyful hope. Let's have a look at that, how that unfolds. Have you ever noticed anything, something about Christmas? Everything about it is dark. We've put lights up. I tell you what, we have, got, we have got lights everywhere. We've got battery lights all over the place, and LEDs are fantastic. You can run all Christmas on three AA batteries. Fantastic. Brilliant. But why are lights so significant? Because Christmas is actually all about darkness. 
and light shining in it. We might talk about it, you know, night time. We might talk about it being the winter solstice. We might even say we've co-opted a pagan festival. We might have done, but the reality is we've done it because we wanted to say something. And the saying something we can see most clearly in the first declaration of the birth of Jesus. And it's in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, it says this. Those shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The first declaration of the birth of Jesus is to shepherds in the darkness on a hillside below Bethlehem. Those of you not clear of the geography, it confused me for years because it says they go up into Bethlehem. The reality is that Bethlehem's on the top of a hill and the shepherds will lower down on the hillside. So they go up to the city. But look at, let, let's just put ourselves in the sandals of the shepherds for a few minutes. The reality is that they live in a dark experience. They live somewhere near Bethlehem. Nine kilometers further north is Jerusalem, the holy city. From their Jewish heritage, this is the very center of everything. They see themselves as the people of God, but the reality is that they are under tyrannical Roman occupation. All hope is gone. There is darkness. The hope that they had is shattered. If you take the whole of the story of the Bible, we start at Genesis chapter 3. Everything from Genesis chapter 3 to this moment is about the building up and loss of the kingdom. The kingdom gets lost twice. They build the kingdom up and it's lost. And the Romans at this moment are occupying the kingdom. And the promise that God made to Abraham way back there seems to be shattered We call ourselves the people of God, but the reality is we are in darkness. We have got nothing. We are oppressed. We are hopeless. But in that darkness, we find that God breaks in with shattering light. That's why we find ourselves celebrating Christmas at the darkest time of the year. That's why historically the church didn't even almost acknowledge Christmas until the very moment of Christmas because there was this building anticipation that in the darkest of times, light exploded into our reality. A new king is born in the city of David. If you read that with a Jewish heritage, as they would have experienced it, this was mind-blowing. You see, David was born in Bethlehem. 
that great king that they all looked back to. I think most, most human experiences look back to moments in the past, don't they? Where it all looked wonderful and it all looked great. In our journey, I remember a moment where we, as a group of about six of us, where we saw the possibility that we might be able to move into this unit. We sneaked in through the back door. They'd left it unlocked for us to have a look in. We came in through the back door and a little group of us just prayed in, in a virtually derelict room. Lord, is this, is this where we're going to be? There's part of us that can look back to those moments. We all do it. Families do it. Companies do it. Organizations do it. The Jewish people did that. They looked back to a moment, and the moment was King David. That was the high point. That was where the king got it right. That's where there was hope. Where was the king born? Bethlehem. And now we've got this absolute crisis. And God says, the king's here again. The king is born again in Bethlehem. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. Here's joy in your darkness. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Messiah, the promised one, the king is born And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What an accessible king that is. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 and we read this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God speaking to the snake. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There is going to come a time when I will defeat you. I will defeat you for what you have done in twisting and turning humanity that is made in my image and taking them in a different place and I will crush you by the coming of one who is to be born. They were banished from the garden. And it says at the end of that chapter, God drove man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubs and a a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God portrays this as powerful you will not get close to life. It portrays God as this enormous, great, fearful being. And then God says, I'm going to come. And I'm going to be born as a little baby. And you can once again come close to me. And I will never cast you out. Because I have come to resolve the very problem that you have back there this is hope this is the central moment in between the brackets that open with Genesis chapter 3 
And so my plea is that in this time where we're going to create false hopes for beautiful relationships and distractions from work, we might see that there is a greater hope in Jesus which brings true restored relationships and true rest.